Welcome to Pro Tour Talk Bonus. Today is October 4th. I'm Steve Dodge, and we're going to talk with Chuck Kennedy about the women, about power rankings, about ratings, about the differences, and, uh, and I bet you Chuck throws some other crazy ideas out there at us as well. So enjoy the interview, and we'll talk to you all next week. Chuck, it is time to talk about the women. Okay. Are you ready? I am. All right. So when we look at the women, we 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 just completed talking about the men and the various ways that we can uh we can rank the players and rate the players. Uh let's talk about the women and see how they do uh using these exact same metrics. Um we'll start with ratings. Uh most universally known method of of uh telling how good a player is and on the women's side in the ratings uh Paige Pierce uh leads and Valerie Jenkins and Sarah Hokum uh are in second um wow interesting there are two Finns who are in fourth and fifth by rating um is it uh is it Hena Blomberg yeah yeah by rating and, then, and also by world ranking Say that again? By rating and also by world ranking. Interesting. That is uh, that is exciting. See, Helen, Hena Blomroos and uh, Evelina Salonen, uh, pronunciation notwithstanding, uh, are, are right up there in fourth and fifth. And uh, as, you know, Valerie, like Nate, has stepped back significantly this year. So in all likelihood, one of those two will be in the top three ratings uh, in the next in the next six months. That's pretty exciting. And you yeah, would say in, would in world ranking as well. Yeah, well, in fact, you know, you had um, uh, Evelina, uh, one kind of pishti, and Henna come in second. And then, you know, Katrina, that's where Katrina got her um, her lead in. Um, right now, she leads in the player of the year points, uh, partly because Paige uh, didn't, you know, play there. Now, uh Oh, that's, you know, yeah, like that's the participation bump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean they yeah. were close otherwise, um, you know, and uh, so it's it's an interesting interesting situation. Um, you know, if, if you've got rising player of the year, it would probably be one of the international players. I mean, you know, they uh, say that say that again. If you had said, what? I'm, I'm saying if you had like the Rising Star Award, shall we oh, say? Oh, sure. You know, we yeah. Don't really have, we don't have, you know, that's one of the things that probably could be added is, you know, uh, who, who made the most advancement, you know, from the prior year. We had an award like that we call a higher flyer in our Minnesota Frisbee Association. Okay. I like that and, a lot, actually. Um, and it, it's interesting because we're not quite mature enough for rookie of the year to make sense. Gotcha. Yeah. As a as a sport. Yeah. Um, well, so, there you go. And actually, I I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and give away a little bit. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll go ahead and give away a little bit uh, for the the Pro Tour awards at the end of the year. This is the first year that we are not considering somebody that we're only considering people who did not have touring cards in the past. So, um, and I think as we go forward, it will make more and more sense for that to be the metric, um, that you're not considered a, a rookie. You're not considered having played as a touring pro unless you have a touring card. Uh, so okay. that's, uh, that we, this is the first year we set that up as the metric, and, and I'm excited about it um, because sure. it, it feels like a significant step towards maturity. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, that all sounds good, but, you know, that w- my point was is that, you know, Rising Star – you know, I would take a look at, say, Kristen Tatar from Estonia. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, she you know she participated. See, one of the things that um, I guess is a little bit of a thermometer on whether or not we truly have a world tour, not necessarily a U.S. tour, which is pretty well established now. But if you take a look at 
from a world tour standpoint, looking at the men, there are only nine men that have points in all of the categories in world rankings. And, you know, for the women, it's only three. Yeah, we're, we're not, we're not to the point yet where we have a genuine class of, of touring pro at all. World tour. World. Yeah. And in fact. Correct, correct. And, and, and that is why ratings, ratings is the backbone that glues together having world rankings at all. Because if without without ratings, you would maybe have only a field of um, let's see how many women do we have about fifty? Yeah, we got fifty women. We might have only we might you know if you were truly doing world rankings without ratings as one of the elements, you might only have a dozen you know fifteen women. Same with the men, you know, with only nine of them having points in all the categories. If you were if you were doing it you know, based upon, you know, performance around the world, um, you know, you might only have 20, 25, you know, especially if they were allowed to, you know, skip a couple categories. So, Chuck, so, I'm going mean, to I'm I'm diverge. For those people who are currently listening and saying, wait a minute, I want to know who the best women in the world are, fast okay. forward about four, four or five minutes, because I'm going to diverge or take a tangent on this conversation uh, you just said, you know, ratings are the backbone. And we're talking about the top-rated players in the world. And uh, I don't know if it was one week ago or two weeks ago, we actually had a conversation on Pro Tour Talk that talked about the difference between ratings and rankings. And, right. uh, and the, the player, we were talking with Paul Ulibarri, and right. Paul Ulibarri postulated that he would much rather go talk to a potential sponsor or talk to the media and say, I am ranked fifth in the world or I am ranked 12th in the world, as opposed to saying I have a 1030 rating because it's just understood in, in the world in general what a, what a world ranking means as opposed to what a, um, what a PDGA rating means. Inside the sport, it's obviously understood. But his overall point was, if you are a touring professional, your rating doesn't matter at all. All that matters is whether or not you won last week. All that matters is what your your power ranking or your world ranking is, and uh, and and how how you are viewed in the sport as far as are you the best player or are you one of the top ten or or whatever it is, and your rating, which is equivalent to basically your handicap in golf, shouldn't even be considered for for true professional disc golfers. Well, from a practical standpoint, handicaps and ratings are not the same. Because, and I, I remember the conversation, you know, handicaps, it's your 10 best out of 20. Um, and it's self-reported scores. You know, you can't even compare. The, qual- the quality of ratings is much higher as a statistic than than handicaps. But I get I get his point and in fact, you know, the there really isn't anything wrong with using ratings as the way somebody would be ranked. Uh the only reason it's not is uh Ken Climo, you know, who has resurfaced here uh this week. Um I guess he's not going to actually play uh still still on injured reserve here but um i had a conversation with him at the 2005 pro worlds and his concern was is that <clears throat> Jesper Lundmark uh the swede was i think he had a rating maybe one or two points higher than Kenny and what ticked him off about that is that when Jesper was here at the USDGC the only time that they played um, he didn't beat Kenny. And it's like, well, you know, world rankings is involved with playing with other people, playing against, you know, other people, um, you know, at, at the same event. And so I said, well, you know, we can, 
see about figuring it out. And so really what you see here today for the world rankings is a result of that conversation I had with Ken to incorporate, you know, wins and losses. The thing about it is, is that wins and losses is not as precise as ratings because it uses actual score differential rather than just finish place. So, you know, from a practical standpoint, you could you could argue that even to this day, it's still better. Of course, at that time, we didn't have the intermixing among top players on the world tour like we have today. So there so was a using, concern well, that... Using that logic, um, when yeah. I, I was just looking at my... Um, my baseball, I, I'm a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, and I realized that the season finished, and I wasn't even aware of it. But uh, I, I went and checked, because my goal for the Pirates was to see if they were above 500. And good golly, they were three games above 500. It was awesome. Um, okay. Ha- however, uh, the next column over was run differential, which is very right. similar to what you're saying, which is, you know, your scoring, your actual scoring. And um, by run differential, the Pirates actually beat the team that was ahead of them. And I thought that was funny. Yeah, I, I thought, not, well, that's, yeah, unfortunately, it's, run it's, differential doesn't... You're, <laughs> you're talking about a team game, you know, versus individual individual scoring. Well, let, I, mean, I, you know, I think it doesn't, but it doesn't matter. The only, My point is, as far as the standings go... The only thing that matters is wins and losses. How many do you win by? I disagree as it relates to the strength of a player. I do agree as it relates to, you know, performance against the field that they had to perform against. But wouldn't you agree that, you know, how, how often do you hear the comment that it's you against the course? If it's really you against the course, you know, then, then the, uh, the rating is really a better a better gauge than whether you won or lost. I mean, look at all of the manipulation that we're having to do to to adjust for strength of field. Um, you know, the uh, uh, the tier when, there's, when there's three holes left and I'm ahead by two, I am not playing the course. I am playing I, I my w- opponent. And the reason is because I, I don't care what my end score is. I just want to win. Here's the thing, though. I'll, I'll give you a, 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 for instance, that that isn't the thinking that occurs among many of the pros. They, the, um, take a look at, uh, uh, say, what Johnny McRae's meltdown on 17 at the USDGC. He was playing the shot that he felt comfortable with shooting despite the fact that there was probably a better strategy at that point than going for it. And I remember a conversation, <clears throat> Timmy Gill was um, sitting with the lead, but he didn't want to know. He didn't want to know where he was at at the memorial. And I can't remember, it was quite a few years ago. And he took a a five on like the dam hole or whatever, when he could have easily played, you know, safe to prevent any any uh, negative impact, which happens everywhere at the memorial. And he ended up in a tie with Barry Schultz, you know, three holes later. Fortunately, he won the play. But not every pro actually goes for the, um, you know, playing against the person as opposed to against the course. So, so but, just, but I, agree, to, I agree with your point. I agree with your point. I'm just saying that it isn't, comp, you know, it isn't always the case. Uh, that you're, I've seen the movie Tin Cup, so you are 100% right that it is not always the case. Sometimes there's a different thing that's going on in our heads, and we we want to we want to prove something else as opposed to uh, exactly. whatever it is that society says we maybe should be trying to do, which is win the tournament. Sometimes we just want to hit that shot. So, sure, I, I understand your point, but, and I, I appreciate you saying, in, in principle, people are playing against each other, and how many they win by is irrelevant on the on the top level of the game. The, the goal is just to win. The, the check isn't smaller 
if you win by one versus ten. Right, unless there's some something in the bonus. I don't know if you recall, but um, that one year when Paul was uh, ten fifty-five or whatever, um, you know, he he had set a personal goal for ten sixty, and the only way he was going to get ten sixty was to just crush and crush and not worry about, you know, the the uh, score stroke differential. Um, so. You know, I, while we talk about, Chuck, I genuinely, I genuinely appreciate having conversations with you, uh, because I feel like I could say the sky is blue, and you would say, except for the aurora borealis, and like you would have that that one little extreme uh, point where it's not quite always the way it seems, and that is an absolutely valid way to look at the world, um, because. As a map, I, I suspect you're a mathematician as well, or you you, you should be on some mm-hmm. level. Um, you would, you would we, know if I was doing reading. <laughs> the, the first thing that we do, the first thing that we do is go to extremes and see if things still work. So it is absolutely yeah. valid to do that, and I I genuinely appreciate appreciate having these conversations because the the to my mind the very, very clear points that I'm making, you are easily able to point out that there are extreme cases where actually that's not the case. So, but anyway, in in principle, the guy that wins gets the same amount uh whether he wins by 1 or 10. Um now, let's let's con- let's get back to the women because I told the people to fast forward 5 minutes. Right? I think that was 7. So, we'll have to maybe cut out a couple minutes or talk. I'll just speed it up on the okay. on the podcast. Okay. Yeah. So, but back to action here. Um, in ratings, Paige Pierce, Valerie Jenkins, Sarah Holcomb, and then we've got the two Finns, Henna and Evelina. In the world rankings, it's Paige Pierce, Sarah, and actually Henna and Evelina, and then Katrina. So, um, and it's amazing how tight second through fifth is. Sarah, Henna, Evelina, and Katrina are all, they're all right there. Um, and then in the player of the year, this is really, Excuse me, this is really interesting. You actually have Katrina ahead of Paige and Sarah. Um, which well, when you say I have, I have her ahead, I'm just saying that, you know, Kanapishti was uh, the only major that played at that point, and Paige didn't play in it at all. Like, had she gone there and taken fourth or whatever, you know, she would uh, she would be in the lead. And I'm Back, guessing Sarah didn't play it either because she stayed in the States. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I forget um, where there was a conversation about that, but uh, Paige, Paige um, was being interviewed or whatever, and somebody you know brought that brought that up or, or mentioned it, and she realized that well, once the pro worlds uh, gets included and points and from U.S. women's, yeah, U.S. women's. So she's I'm sure that the next time we have the update that, you know, Paige has gone ahead. I mean, she was shocked that she wasn't. And it was just strictly the the kind of Pishti being the only major so far that had points. And I think that was 16 points or something is what uh, Katrina got for that. The the interesting thing, player of the year is a really interesting metric to me um, because it's so counterintuitive. If if right before Pro Worlds our season had ended and you asked a hundred disc golfers who followed the, the, the touring pros, um, you know, what what woman had the best season, I I don't know if anybody would have said Katrina. Um I think some people would have said Paige and some people would have said Sarah. <laughs> and Katrina it's, I don't know. Like the survey says, uh, you know, family feud. I, I don't know if Katrina would have got the requisite two votes to, to even be on the board. So player well, of the year is a really interesting metric to me. I, I'm, well, I understand it, what it, it's you know, doing. It's measuring participation and success at PDGA events. But it, it seems like a really interesting name, player of the year, because I don't, I don't think there's any way Katrina would say, even Katrina would say that she was the player of the year in 2018 up until Pro Worlds. Um, well, only from the standpoint that it's kind of like, you know, watch the football game last night where, um, 
you know, Denver was up in the third quarter. You know, the game wasn't over. You know, you still had another quarter to play, and uh, Mahomes uh, did some magic and, and pulled it out. You know, it's it's basically you have an incomplete data for all the different possible elements that could be included. You know, just like we're talking today, we don't have we don't have information on USDGC um, Hall of Fame and your final. So, I mean. <laughs> it's it's like we're maybe in the uh, uh, early fourth quarter of a of a football game, you know, and we're trying to you know predict the uh, final outcome. So I, I guess that that's the best analogy I can give with regard to you know some of this is that you know all the data you know isn't in there yet. I think it's unrealistic to expect a metric. Or, or for a season to be so homogeneous among players that whatever they start out with in the rankings, you know, after three months is going to maintain the same, you know, rankings, you know, within uh, one position or, or something by the time you get to seven months and by the time you get to 12 months. Sure. Right? I'll, I'll, agree. I'll agree with that. And and I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and, and say this. Um, I went ahead and looked at Katrina's year so far in 2018. Um, she has played in 27 FPO events. She played in one MPO event as well, um, and and she cashed in that event. But she's played in uh, in 27 FPO events. Um, guess how many of those she won? Um, I'm going to say she probably won a fair number of them if they were uh, B-tiers in there. Uh, let's discount. She has two B-tier wins, uh, and she has three B-tiers. So let's discount those. Let's call it 24 events, uh, A-tiers, Pro Tours, NTs, and Majors. Of those 24 events that are A-tier and above, how, how many did she win? Uh, I don't know, maybe five? She won nine of them. Okay. Katrina Allen is having a a pretty good year. <laughs> I'm well, pretty. It's, it's, I, yeah, it's, and, and it's really that, surprising to me because watching watching the pro tour, I see she won a pro tour event, she won a national tour event, and she's won uh, you know six or seven, uh, five or six or seven A tiers. Um, and when I look at the pro tour, it's you know Paige won at the beginning, Sarah won at the end, and. Uh, and it's easy to forget, you know, Katrina got one there, Jessica got one there. Actually, of the last five Pro Tour events, um, there have been four different winners. So going into, I guess U.S. Women's just happened, but going into Hall of Fame and the, the Pro Tour Championship, the women's side is wide open. It's pretty exciting to see who could win that. Um, and that well, doesn't even count Paige Bjorkas, who won Pro Worlds. Well, and take a look at the net, um, the net value and... She is second to uh, uh, Paige. Paige has got a .7 net, you know, meaning that she's done better than first place due to um, strength of field. And Katrina is at 1.1, and I think that's second best with uh, Evelina third at 1.3. Yeah. And so, further than, uh, yeah. So, so I'm just saying. I, I will, I would I will go ahead and say that, in my opinion, Paige or Sarah has, has had a stronger year. But Katrina's year is, has been much stronger than I, than I initially thought when I just looked at the pro tour stats, which is what I tend to focus on as, as the tour director. So, um, moving on though, let's, let's close that window of Katrina's stats. Sure. When we look at, so when we look at the next metric is pro tour standings and, uh, Sarah Hopem won the tour points, uh, over Paige Pierce and, uh, Jessica Weiss actually came in third. Um, obviously, uh, Evelina and Henna don't, don't play on the Pro Tour, so they, uh, or the, or the National Tour, I'm guessing. Um, let's go to that next, and that is, in fact, Paige wins the, na or is a, is leading in the National Tour. Uh, Katrina is second, and Sarah Hokum is third. So, um, those, it, that's a, that's a pretty interesting, uh, discussion. You know, you got Paige one, Katrina two, Sarah three, versus Sarah one, Paige two, and Jessica three, so Sarah and Paige. Well, you, also have, you know, last year Katrina, Katrina did win 
the Hall of Fame, I believe, last year. Uh, I will believe you on that. I I don't know off the top of my head at all. But, um, and she, I remember, she only lost to Paul McBeth by one shot on the Steady Ed course. I do remember that, actually, yes. Um, that yeah. that was a, a nice article to read about. Um, now, this year, and then just, you know, this, yeah. I was going just ahead. to finish off, the, the last thing is the power rankings for the women. Um, and uh, Paige Pierce leads the power rankings with a 78%, actually 78.9, so 79% win percentage. Sarah Holcomb's at 70%, and then Katrina Allen is actually at 51%. So over the last 12 months with degrading, uh, values. So in the power rankings, Paige Pierce is, uh, is currently leading that, uh, although Sarah Holcomb has been gaining on her steadily, uh, since the San Francisco Open. So now, on the women said the power rankings, the power rankings I thought was just 2018. You said the last 12 months or? Oh, it's, it's actually the last, it's actually the last 40 weeks is what it is. Cause we degrade by 2.5% per week. Oh, okay, and then and then it and then it's completely dropped off. Which Correct, kind of and that way because you have you don't have events in your standings for several months of the year. I'm I'm guessing. Uh, no, that are well, they, the next after after the tour championship, things will be quiet until you know uh, February. Uh, right. But the rankings will still exist, and and basically everybody's win loss percentages will just degrade just go lower and lower and then the memorial and the Las Vegas event will be the will be the two that give the biggest jolt to the system um as a, as opposed to just because everything degrades and and kind of melds off the system in a nice smooth manner whereas uh sure. with the with the world rankings next year when eagle does better at at pro worlds it's going to be a significant jump and all of a sudden he's not going to be 15th in the world he's going to be 4th and it's going to be that that's the thing that's interesting to me is like on on Tuesday he's 15th in the world uh on the following Tuesday he's 4th in the world that it feels it's that's a <laughs> that's a pretty big jump so uh, and again i think I, I like i i had mentioned in um what i wrote to you is that when when you're in the middle of a season you have uh, a lot of you know, chatter similar to a stock going up and down every day or every week, you know, whether or not somebody is trending up or down, we need another metric, you know, to have what I would, you know, kind of an accelerator factor. And we've talked about doing that with the uh, player ratings, you know, as having Absolutely. a... Yeah. So, so uh, I'll agree with you that we, we call right. it who's hot. Uh, where we do just the last, I think it was the last 10 weeks. And, uh, sure. and there's, there's no minimum. I think the minimum was two events. Um, and it's just a simple who's hot metric. And, uh, and it is exactly what it sounds like. You know, the person's doing the best in this really small, tight window that we all remember because we have, <laughs> because we have recency bias. And speaking of recency bias, let's yeah. look forward with the women. And Paige Pierce just won U.S. Women's, um, and uh, and Paige Bjorkis obviously won, won Pro Worlds, and Paige Pierce was strong at the beginning of the season. Sarah Holcomb was was strong towards the end. Katrina Allen had a a, a much stronger season than I expected, looking at the numbers. Um, so, in your opinion, we've got two events: Hall of Fame and the Tour Championship. Who would you give the uh, the lean to right now? As as to the the woman that had the the strongest season in 2018. Ah, oh, man. Um, <laughs> it's it, you, you almost can't you can't go against you know uh, Paige Pierce. I mean, it's not like you know she was uh, was crushed you know in in worlds. I mean, let's see here. Where have I got it? Yeah, I see. I had to get on the right page here. I, I was for some reason I had July up instead of September for the for the women. But yeah, um, you know, you take a look at the stats. There's really nothing that rivals it. And for example, um, you know, Henna and Evelina you know, sort of I would say missed their opportunity by 
not playing in one or both of Pro Worlds and, and U.S., I mean, they realistically were playing well enough, you know, to have a shot. And, uh, yeah. you know, who was it that, uh, um, uh, who, who else was in there? Wasn't, um, uh, well, we have you mentioned the, Kristen Tartar. She was, she was on the lead card for a couple of days. Right. Yeah. She had the, uh, finished fourth in the, uh, U.S. women's. Okay. Yeah. And so, like I said, I, I, I sort of felt like Kristen, if there was a rising star, um, I'm guessing that, you know, she might, uh, snag that, uh, as much for participating in all the different events, you know, and not, and not having a bad one. I mean, her worst event was, uh, pro worlds. And here's something, uh, the current world rankings, both for men and women, um, because there's a lag in when we process the official ratings, the, um, the updated world rankings currently for September include their finish position and, but their ratings from that event will not be reflected. And so, for example, Kristen at, at 24 and a half on the ratings ranking, um, there's a good chance she's going to move up further. Same with, uh, uh, Paige Birkus. So, you know, they're, yeah. they're on the ascendancy because the, uh, the, you know, the, the tournament results lead to the rating update. So, um, you know, both of them are, are on the move. Um, and of course, you know, USDGC is not going to count anything for, um, for either page. You know, they're playing in, in the USDGC. That's, that, that event isn't part of, of the women's rankings. So let's 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 postulate here real quick, because uh, right now I think we are both leaning towards Paige Pierce as the uh, as the current per- person who's having the best 2018 season. Uh, let's right. pretend let's pretend that um, Paige Pierce does not win uh, either the Hall of Fame nor the Tour Championship, but she finishes let's say top three in both. And let's say, uh, let's say Sarah Holcomb wins one of them and let's say that, uh, Katrina Allen wins the other. Is that enough to, uh, to give the nod in your opinion to either of those women or does Paige Pierce still have it? I just, um, Page, at least looking at world rankings, Page has a, a two-position lead, you know, over Sarah, which is hard to make up for those particular events. Really, because of the uh, the relative thinness currently of the events. Now, here's here's the interesting thing: um, the the uh, DGPT final rankings um, are going to be added you know, to the women's side also. Yep. So, so, and, uh, and the European Open will drop off, which Katrina won. So that factors into it. And didn't you say that is Sarah's leading that right now? So the, I, I would have to wonder what exactly you're going to add in there because there's two things. One is the tour points, which is the aggregate of the season. And the other is the tour championship, which I view as the playoffs, where the top 12 women qualify for the playoffs, and then we crown one tour champion. So it's basically the, the person who wins the, the Super Bowl of disc golf, in my mind. And then uh, and then the other is the tour points champion, who's the, the person who did the best in the regular season. Um, I think the regular the season, in my opinion, holds more champion. legitimacy. Uh, well, I think, I think especially um, – you know, unless for some reason that it it's a little bit like winning the FedEx Cup, you know, it's not really um, – I don't even know if there's any points for winning the FedEx Cup compared to just, you know, winning the tour finale. That, you know, because the tour finale only had 30 guys playing in it. I think there off. are 10, 10 million points for winning the FedEx Cup. Yeah. It, in other words, we don't worry about points. Right. Exactly. We don't. The only thing that matters what? is I got first, and I got a really big check. <laughs> yeah, that's 
the, the, the check is a uh, um, okay. So looking at this, I'd say Sarah might be the only one who has a shot because Katrina, you know, Katrina, if she wins HOF and she's automatically not, you know, getting points in the DGPT tour, right? I mean, Correct. she's, she's, what, yeah, she's fourth. She's fourth and Paige Pierce is second. So we're going to replace that with, you know, a third or fourth. And, and that's already done, right? So we, we already the know. The points is completed, yeah. Completed. All right. Well, then I might end up, um, you know, uh, rolling that that data in here uh, because I agree with you. I think it makes more sense to have your tour points. Um, and there's been discussion um, that maybe for next year we would um, have an, a giant aggregate uh, tour thing where it's your best um, maybe six or seven events among the pro tour, national tour, European tour. And so then, you know, the net would be um, uh, NEPT or something like that instead and incorporate that. So there's been some discussion about that for next year, but I think point standings for this year makes uh, makes more sense than the tour final itself. I, I, I'll agree with that, absolutely. Um, and, and I'll go ahead and just say, in, in my opinion, the, the, the pro, how, how many events are on the Euro Tour that are potentially included in that net, net calculation? Um, four, this year it was four European and what was it, uh, six national tour? Okay. So that's comparable to the pro tour, which is 10 events. Um, and exactly. next year the pro, next year the pro tour will be 11 events. And uh, if you add a European event or not, it, it's it's still very very close. Uh, well, with, with or, we or about, you could put them all together yeah. and maybe double the value. Well, that was yeah. The, the when and even if the, uh, it wasn't included, the, the net was probably going to increase in in value, and also the ability to drop a major in the other categories. If in fact, you know, you had had at least the minimum number, you know, played. Sure. And, I, and I don't know if you if you realize down at the bottom, you know, at the bottom of the world rankings there, it shows the percentage weighting. Uh, I didn't notice that. And see, um, when I was, you know, writing a note to you about the oh, I comparison. See. Okay, the- yeah. 2020 20, okay I do see that and the the comment about you know the power rankings um, you know weighting the events based upon the number of quality players that's essentially what that weighting at the bottom is for um, for the events is uh, like for uh, the Aussie I think the Aussie open when it was in the rankings a couple years ago, was somewhere around three to five percent. I like so, that percentage a lot, Chuck. I did not know that that was there. Um, yeah, the, yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying that you know we it, it it was essentially the same concept that you know Nathan's using is you know we not only not only the number of players that were world ranked, but also uh, the weighting based on strength of field. Now. The thing that we didn't do or haven't done yet is we don't do a strength of field weighting on majors. The strength of field weighting is only on national and European tour events. And, and we would potentially we, do something yeah. similar for, for, for if, if the, uh, you know, pro tours involved next year, um, which I, I think is a reasonable, uh, expectation, we would probably apply the same technique you know, for the top 15 strength of field and our weighting factors. So the two things I'm going to say real quick on those weighting factors, number one, I love weighting factors because I think it matters. And and our weighting factor is just how many of the top 25 players were at the event. And if there were there were two, then it has a very small weighting factor because you're just going to get one win or loss. And if there were 25, then it has a large weighting factor because you're going to get 24 wins or losses. Um, or right. 25 if you're not one of the top 25. Um, 
But so I love the weighting factor. The two questions I have real quick. Number one, those numbers seem to add up to 102%. I'm going to guess that's a rounding error where we just, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. It's nine point. Okay. Uh, and then the second thing is pro worlds. Am I reading this right? The pro worlds is 25% of the entire world ranking. It's 25%. Um, yes. Yeah, it's 25% uh, for those who have that number. Of course, yes. If you don't have that number, you, you as you said, you're not penalized, but you don't get that number. Uh, so Greg Barsby won the world rank wor pro worlds. Uh, so he has a one there, and that one is is 25% of his world ranking, which is arguably part of the reason that he's ranked so high. I think 22%, but either way, yeah. It, okay. Um, I, the number's kind of small, and my eyes are old, so who knows, you know, what, what exactly it is. Yeah. It, oh, you're right. It is, oh, that's on the men's kinda, side. It's different. It's different on the men's it, and women's. Yeah, well, and, and again, it's um, it's somewhat balanced based upon the other majors. So, you know, I, I kind of um, uh, proportion Proportionate. For example, the ratings, the ratings and the net are are fixed numbers, and then the other ones based are based upon how many people that particular update were in those events. See, for example, um, it's possible that that number might change from 10% to 8% to 12% because some of those people near the bottom bounce in and out of the rankings based upon uh, their ratings going up or down during the year. So, like, for example, there might be a, a woman that's rated um, 899 that played in Kanapishti, and she's not in the current rankings. But uh, by the end of the year, you know, she had a 902 rating, at least a world-ranked rating. And so all of a sudden, she adds another body count to the Kanapishti for that for that particular update. So in other words, it's uh, it's a slightly dy slightly dynamic. It's not hugely dynamic, but it's correct. You know that that number can can bounce bounce around based upon how many people happen to currently be um, you know in in the rankings. And you can see in the second column for both of the charts how many new people showed up in the rankings uh, from last year. Right. It, I would say that the, um, uh, the power rankings update faster with the data that it uses. It doesn't use all data available, but it updates faster with the data that it uses. But the world rankings are um, more comprehensive in terms of people included and don't cast somebody aside as fast. So, I mean, you uh, know, that's, it's just a matter of, you know, matter of, of, you know, what is it? You have to consider there's a PDGA perspective in terms of it being a, including as many members as possible in some fashion, you know, which is the same thing we do with the player ratings. You know, we, we figure out how to do ratings even if there are a few propagators. You know, they might not be as good, but, you know, that it's a it's a member benefit that you include or that you, you know, provide ratings when, uh, when you play a singles event where you get ratings. So, and so world rankings in a way, you know, because it is the word world, and we have a PDGA world membership, somehow or another, um, we want to figure out how to incorporate players who don't play against other players uh, as often. So, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's it's really it, it, it's it's just a matter of you know difference in those particular things. I wanna I wanna go ahead and just. Uh, Take a little bit of umbrage at that without uh, without getting overly defensive and just having kind of a little bit of fun with it. Um, 
when you said that the uh, the power rankings, uh, which we will be re-releasing um, right around the Hall of Fame, um, because we we want to make sure that all of the bugs are worked out of our our new system. But uh, you said the power rankings with the data that it uses. And you implied that the power rankings don't use as much data as the world rankings. And I I think that I disagree with you on that. Um, we utilize well, you don't use you don't use ratings. Of course not. Right? And right. It, are you they're, are, are you, they're are insignificant you for, for ranking the top players in the world. All I'm worried about is wins and losses. Right. And are you including and you exclude events that are, um, by definition, don't have the top 25 quality players? Any uh, of the top 25? Events need to have, uh, I think it's 10 1,000 rated players to be included in the rankings. Right. And if it and has, so if it has 10, so there's, you know, there's a, a handful of A tiers. Um, probably probably more than that, actually. Probably 10 or 20 A-tiers that get included and three or four European events, but not a big number of European events. And that's the place that well, – how many European events you, – you said you included four plus the majors, so probably six total. So we probably uh, include yeah. a couple less European events than you do. But we probably right. include a, a few more A-tiers than you do. Uh, n- no, because of uh, player ratings. With player ratings, you know, all of people's, people's, people's performance, well, people's performance in, in those events, um, here's, here's the thing about the player ratings, and that is nobody ever, nobody that shoots a higher score than another player gets a higher rating. Ever. Uh, let's so let's do this. Now, you and I, we're going to have to agree to disagree on whether or not ratings should be included, and that's, and that's fine. Um, but I want to ask this genuine question because it, it'll point out the difference between, I think, where we are. Uh, let's pretend that you and I play each other head-to-head. And uh, on the first day, uh, I beat you by 20 strokes. And on the next four days, you beat me by two strokes. Who's better? Well, are we talking about playing the same course? Uh, the course is irrelevant. Well, it is no, but it is relevant. Okay, let's let I me mean, go ahead and ha- let's have fun. We're let's let's pretend we're we're playing the same course, and we're playing that course four times for each of these five tournaments. And in the first the first tournament, I beat you by twenty. In the next four tournaments, you beat me by three. Who who's better? Are you talking about that when I beat you, that's considered a win? <laughs> if you beat, if we put ten bucks up uh, each, you're walking away with twenty. I'm walking away with zero. And you did that four times well, in a row, each time beating me by well, three strokes. I think I think that gets at the crux of of these rankings, and that is the rankings don't necessarily tell how good a player is for predicting the future, but they tell how well a player performed in the past. And and that's a that's a key thing, and I think that's what that's what irks people about um, you know say eagle eagle dropping. It's like um, you know consider it like grades in school. You know if you had a if your midterm is worth uh, you know twenty five percent, you know, and you have a bunch of pop quizzes that are each worth five percent, you know, every week during the semester. Um, you know, you don't get to throw out that that tank job that you did on the midterm. So, you know, <laughs> and, and, and that's and, how we're we're viewing pro worlds as the midterm of disc golf, where it's worth twenty percent of your grade, or whatever. Yeah, but I, but I, yeah. I guess so. So the question is is um, 
I think we all would say Eagle is better than his current ranking, just as somebody who's smart, you know, and has a bad test is still smart. But, but you know, so, they happen to, uh, you know, so, so I, I, you know, so, and to answer your question, um, you might still be the better player, but I had a better performance. And I think that subtle distinction is, is really the crux of this discussion with regard to rankings is, well, maybe, um, maybe it's, maybe it's this, Chuck. Maybe I have a higher potential because I beat you by 20. I just wiped you. I wiped you with the floor. I wiped the floor with you, however that expression goes. Um, yeah. But over the next four rounds, you beat me by three. Or next four tournaments, you beat me by three each time. I wasn't able to right. get back to my potential again. So yeah, that's because you had a hangnail. You had a hangnail. Better. Who are you, you going to bet on uh, when, when push comes to shove? And, you know, that, what that does, what we're saying is you had a higher standard deviation in performance. Of course. And so that's an interesting factor. Um, in general, and, and, and Ricky has had a higher, Ricky's had a higher standard deviation than Paul, even though their ratings are close. So what happens is that Somebody with a higher standard deviation um, actually has can have a higher probability of winning, but their average performance is uh, slightly less. So you know, again, if you want if you want to bet on a plotter, then it better be a situation where the person can plod. You know, if, uh, if, if, say, if, 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 you know, it is not but, a is it is not a coincidence that that is the tournament that has the most OB by far, and that uh, a very consistent, uh, to use your term, plotter happened to come out on top because he, he did exactly what he needed to do and he stayed to his game plan. So right, and I uh, hundred percent agree. He might not he, he might not like the term plotter, but he gets the point. If Nate's listening. Awesome, Nate. That was strategically a great way to play, and you played your game. So I, I have no nothing but you know thumbs up on on that. I'm just merely saying that in in the case where um, and and as a for instance, let's just talk about say distance. You know, if um, if a course is designed to cap the amount of distance that you can throw, that's less than you know, your maximum, then it brings other players into play, uh, you know, for, for contention. Is that what you want to do? I would think so, you know, but, but, um, but then, you know, throwing far is, is a, a skill to be rewarded in some cases. So we have courses where, you know, the, the crush, crush guys, I think Kanapishti might have been a good example of that from, from what I understand. I, you know, from what I heard about the course, it had low OB and you could really open up. So we saw what happened. So either way, so, I, my, my point was the standard deviation con concept. In other words, Ricky had a wider range of performances than Paul. And so, uh, you know, Ricky, when he was hot, you know, he was at the high end of his standard deviation and, and scorched it. You know, on other days, he just didn't have it. But overall, his average performance was right there close to Paul's. So uh, in, in my scenario, Chuck, I'm going to go ahead and uh, at the sixth event that we are playing, I'm going to go ahead and bet on you uh, because you've, you've won four of the five times we've met. And, uh, sure, there's a chance that I could take off and do, do insane things, <laughs> which is true on many levels. Um, but I'm, my money's going to be on you. 
because in that scenario, you are going to beat me more often than I'm going to beat you. And in my opinion, you should be ranked uh, appropriately. So um, even though I might have a higher top level, uh, if I can't reach it consistently, I shouldn't be the top-ranked player in the world or even well, the top-ranked player among us, too. But my, in my, my point is, is that my, uh, right, but my point is, is that I had a better performance. You have a better, have a, have a higher top end. So a lot right. of it, again, depends on, depends on the venue that we're playing, you know, uh, and it may be that, um, and, you know, and it was, sometimes you're correct. The venue is absolutely going to matter. Uh, and sometimes in life, there is no correct answer. There are clearly grays. And uh, and this is absolutely one of those grays. And as people developing ranking systems, we have to be comfortable navigating those grays and trying to figure out what we think is the, the right. most appropriate and optimal level of gray for what we're trying to do. Right. The second, this the second thing the... I wanted – Sure. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, this might be the grayest podcast you'll ever have. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Um, the, 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 second thing that you, the, the second thing you said about the, um, about the power rankings that the Pro Tour is developing is that we include less players. Um, I would, I would, I don't know, I should, I, I was going to say, I, I suspect we include more players, but how many players do you include? Do you just include Every player? Uh, no, like I said, the um, for the men, they've got to have a thousand ranking, a thousand rating, based upon the world ranking rating. You know, not their PDJ rating. So we'll have players, for example, that might be 998 that are surprised that they show up in the world rankings, and there'll be people that have like a thousand two player rating, and they only have a 998, you know, world rank rating. So that's that's been the dividing line since the beginning. Since 2005, you had to have a thousand for um, for men and 900 for women. So there's about so, 150 men that are ranked rated a thousand and above. Um, now, and that's the starting point. That's the starting. Point. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking, in other words, if if somebody has a thousand two rating in the world ranking calculation, and they haven't played in any net events, USDGC, Plural Worlds, whatever, you know, they're they're uh, hang, hanging out in Austria or something like that. Um, they don't get, they don't get into the uh, prime time, you know, numbers. Unless they're, so, everybody who's 1020 and above is in there, but then they have penalty points. Sure. So, but when you said that the, power rankings include less players. I, I just wanted to clarify that point because the way you become eligible for the power rankings is by cashing in any of the events that we use to calculate power rankings. Uh, currently, um, as of about a month ago, this year there were 844 players that were being that we were calculating power rankings on. So I, I'll go ahead and say that I think we include a larger number of people we could potentially rank. Um, obviously, we oh, don't want to go down below, you know, 50 or 100 because then things start getting really wonky because you don't have enough data. Right, and you don't display. And, and what you're saying is you don't display. Uh, you don't display their results unless they're above a thousand um, rating. I thought I thought I no. I thought I remembered reading that that's your that's that's your cut. Even though you might calculate the points, that only the players that are above a thousand end up being displayed. Is that what I? No, not at all. Not at all. It's it, what what your ranking is. It's your one loss percentage, and it used right. to be one loss percentage against a thousand rated and up players. Uh, what we decided was that that's it's too easy to. Uh, to compete at local B tiers, or I should say A tiers, the quality A tiers that have 10 event, 10 top rated guys. But, you know, they could all be 1,000 to 1,012. And maybe you happen to beat all of them and then you get eight or nine wins. But they're not, they're not a Paul Macbeth win. They're, they're a 
a 10-10 win, if you will. So we actually changed the we actually changed the system. So now, if you cash in an event, we will calculate your win loss percentage against the top 25 players in the world. And the top 25 players in the world are the guys who were ranked in the top 25 last week. And then we do that calculation, and then we iterate twice more just to, to you know uh, get out the wiggles. And then uh, and then we that third iteration is our new top 25, and those will be the players that people compete against the next week. So. Okay. Yeah. But I think, we um, we have you know theoretically we have the top 844 players. <laughs> you know we have you know some somebody could say I'm 742nd in the world, and you know we. We have some you metric, but do you publish the whole list. Do you publish the whole list? No, not at all. Right now, we're right. We used to do the top twenty-five, and now we're gonna. We're when we publish it at the Hall of Fame, we're gonna do top fifty men, and I think he said top fifteen women. It might be top twenty, but I think it's top fifteen. So that was just another thing. I wanted this to point out that it, that might have been an, uh, a misunderstanding that we don't. We include less players. We actually include a lot of a lot of players. Um, okay. In terms of in terms of actually displaying, we display more. Oh, if, I mean, if you want to have a you know you want to have a game like that, that's fine. Um, yeah, you guys well, do 102. But if you think about it, think about it from this standpoint. Um, I mean, you know, you're all about marketing, and to me, uh, and and you know, Uliberry made the comment you know, with regard to ranking being more important than rating. And I would agree that you would rather say that if you're talking about dealing with the media. So um, I, I'm perfectly fine with the fact that, you know, you don't tell, you know, you don't tell Adidas that I'm a 10, 1050 rated player, you know, you're top ranked in the world. That doesn't mean ratings aren't useful. But my point it's being interesting. is that I go ahead. Because we have 102 world-ranked players, we have at least you know players from, um, say, New Zealand. Uh, Jackson Sullivan is ranked 101st in the world. He can talk to his media, and the media that might be cool. You know, he's 101st in the world, but he's not going to show up. You know, in your um, in your power rankings. So I'm just saying from a marketing standpoint, I think there is a benefit in getting at least enough legitimate players um, listed. So I guess I would just encourage you to, you know, maybe you want to publish the top 100 as opposed to just the top 25, even if you're tracking more, especially if you're tracking more data. That's all. I agree with you 100%. There so, is there yeah. is no harm because realistically we have enough data to be confident in saying that you know the top probably the top fifteen to thirty guys are are appropriately ranked based on based on win loss percentage against the top twenty five players um, and so we have enough data to make that valid when you get down to one hundred maybe you don't have quite enough data. Um, and when I'm looking at the world rankings, a lot of these guys just have their rating plus how they did at Pro Worlds. And uh, we we would have, a you know, a comparable amount of data, you know, just a, a few data points. But it would be something. And you're absolutely right. Uh, the guy who's, you know, ranked 87th in the world then can say, hey, I'm ranked 87th in the world. And and next time I'm ranked 86th, and next time I'm ranked 88th. And it's just kind of these little blips and blups that uh, cause them to move up and down. But you're absolutely right. We should have – we should go ahead and list that out as low as we're comfortable to a nice even number like 100. And uh, and on the women's yeah. side, why not go to 20? Why not go to 25 if we have that data? So well, that's great. You know, I like that a lot. We, you know, we, we, we promote the top 15 – Men and women, you know that they're they're displayed on the uh, PDJ webpage, but then mm-hmm. there's a link to the PDF file, you know, that shows all all the people. It just happens that right now it's 102. That number fluctuates around for the men, and it fluctuates around for the for the women. But here's also something that we do that I think is useful from a marketing standpoint, and that is 
when we do our final year-end world rankings, we list the top-rated player in every country that has a representative. So, you know, you could have uh, uh, interesting. You know, John John Smith from South Africa is rated 870, but he's the top-rated player in South Africa. Yeah, that's. I think that's a lot of fun. And they, just like so, you said, yeah. it's it's about promotion and giving people the ability to talk up, tell a story, and that you're doing it. Yeah. So that's um that's something that we've been doing. So either way, it's it's uh it's it's been good being able to explain some of these things because I think there's some implied assumptions when somebody sees a ranking without necessarily understanding the foundation under it and why certain things are done the way they are. Well, the the really beautiful thing about power rankings is if I have a favorite player or I have a favorite team and my team is, is you know, their ranking goes uh, up or down. If, if the ranking goes up, I think the guys are smart. And if the ranking goes down, I think the guys are dumb. And it, it I got comes it. down to that. <laughs> and it's super fun and it's super easy. And uh, you and me and Nathan and, and some other folks are putting a lot of thought and effort behind this. We're trying to make this a nice objective measure that can be uh, updated as often as, as reasonable. And it's, it's it's really fun the amount of effort that we're putting into this. It's also really fun that we have literally six different metrics for figuring out who is the best player in the world. And uh and and, and there's two things. One is at any given time and one is over the season. So uh Chuck, thank you very much. Um it's been a lot of fun chatting. Do you have any uh, any any last parting thoughts before I let you go? Uh no, other than, uh, you know, I appreciate um, you talking with me about this so that we can explain some of these um, subtleties that, you know, might go um, uh, unseen because, you know, these days people aren't taking the time to look at long-form explanations. You know, you've got, if you can't answer it in a tweet, um, <laughs> you're, you're stuck. You're stuck. So, uh, Hopefully people wade their way through this podcast that uh, at least care about it and, uh, you know, this topic area. So uh, uh, sorry it had to be as long as it was, but hopefully the information is useful and, and helpful moving forward for all of your debates that you have on social media. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chuck. Make a prediction for me. Who's going to win the U.S. Open or USDGC? I think Macbeth. This has been Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. If you like what we're doing, go ahead and give us a review. Go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and tell a friend about it. Let's spread the word about disc golf. Thank you all very much. Have a great night.